Welcome to another edition of the Royal Alliance UK podcast, episode number 81, Shooting Yourself in the Foot. My name is Matthew Turner, alongside my co-host Martin Birrell, Stephen Collins. How are you doing, boys? Hello, and four. Certainly been better. Yes, it's not been the four. It's not been the best weekend of sport for pretty much all of our teams, apart from Ryan McCluskey's college football team and pre- and uh, and football team over here managed to get wins, but apart from that, I think the rest of us all scored L's, didn't they? How did witness do? Oh, Ryan. luckily this season's finished, so that bit of misery can be parked until March. <laughs> where's so. Where's that gift? You can't lose if you don't play. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> My favorite kind of weekends. Love it. Right, we are here to break down Lions News and the Chicago Bears review. And just want to start by saying, get in our Discord channel. Um, it's a hive of activity and what have you. Of course, I avoided it over the weekend because, oh my God, how bad were the Lions? But let's move on from that. Uh, College Football Podcast coming up to review the weekend's action. That'll be on Wednesday, so don't forget to check that out. Please like and sub the video. If you are listening on audio, please do review us wherever you can on your podcast provider. If you can go onto YouTube and like us as well, it's the best thing you can do for us in terms of giving something back for, uh, for what we're doing here. So if you can do that, much appreciated, guys. Hello to everyone in the chat. To Ashley, one funky lines time, one pride four. See all you guys. Really appreciate your time. Let's start off with the news. Romeo Aquara sadly is done for the season with a torn Achilles, suffered in the game, which is really sad. Frank Ragnow has a toe problem. Um, in the recent press conference, MCDC Bed said basically it's a turf toe issue. Um, he's probably definitely out this week. Um, being reliably informed by our own Ryan McCluskey that this can be anything from a one week to two month sort of issue. So it really depends how bad it is. But we'll find out about that shortly. In terms of the MCDC presser, it just aired about half an hour ago. Um, he said that Decker coming back this week is highly unlikely. He said, despite how bad we were on Sunday, that we were only two plays away from winning the game. And it's hard to argue with that, considering how many times they didn't score in the red zone. Uh, he said he hates it for Romeo, who's a top-notch pro for the team. Can't wait for him to come back. He said that they haven't been good enough on third and fourth down throughout the season. And that carried on in this game. The execution's been poor. They still really like Bobby Price and Jerry Jacobs. Bobby, they just played, uh, moved to cornerback just before the season. They're both young guys, and he also enjoyed how well Charles Harris and Austin Bryant played. They've all kind of shown something throughout the season, so they're going to keep working on these guys and not give up on them. Uh, he said that Jamal Williams was on point and ran his rear off, but he said they need to re-examine their short yardage situational analysis, which is bloody obvious. Um, he said that we're looking at every avenue to help out the rookies in this team including limiting their reps if it isn't helping them by having so much and letting them contribute in short bursts. So they're still going to be involved, but if it's going to help them, they might look at restricting what they're doing at the moment. He thought Ali McNeil had his best game of the year. Any thoughts on those comments first before we dive into the game, boys? I think the rookie one's a fair comment. I mean, 
we're asking them when you, when you look at some of those key positions, we're asking a lot of them to do a job right from the word go. And they find it tough at the moment, I think. Um, but yeah, I think you, what you're gonna, always going to get, I think with Dan Campbell is the honesty, isn't it? And I think, you know, he's not bullshitting about, about how disappointing yesterday was. Um, but yeah, no, I think that there's fair comments there. Williams again impressed me yesterday. I think, he, you know, him and Swift, I really like that combination, but yeah, like I said, I think you always get the truth from him. You always get that honesty, no matter how difficult it is at times. Oh, I can't hear you now, Steve. You're not on mute. I don't know what's happened there. Can you hear me now? Yeah, all good. Um, yeah, I, th I think it's really difficult watching people like Bobby Price, who's clearly a talented kid, but you, you kind of almost just don't want to see him learning on the on the field and just getting burned. Um, because you kind of wonder at what point does his learning become, you know, kind of leaving mental scars. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to see him getting torched by Justin Jefferson or Adam Thielen next week or, you know, whoever we've got in, in the weeks to come. So I, I think it, it would be good to limit some of the play. But then the question is, who steps up? Because I don't see a lot of um, talent or even experience on the roster. So it, it's going to be a real tough one for Campbell to manage. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, spoiler alert, Daryl Worley, who came in for some of uh, Price's snaps, actually ended up with a PFF grade worse than Bobby Price. And we all know how well he played in the game. So, you know, who does take those snaps is a massive issue, especially when you need to replace Will Harris. And I'll just say this now. You need to replace Will Harris. You need to replace Will Harris. You need to replace Will. Yeah, I, I mean, if I can just add to that, um, you, they need to replace Will Harris. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. <laughs> It's 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 gone beyond anything now that it's not salvageable. And you know what? I'm sure that he can do a job as the fourth or fifth safety who can have some special teams upside maybe, but he's a particularly special guy in that yeah. safety room. I mean, you know, like in, in you know, in Ford Field you've got like the concessions, you've got like a couple of shops, you've got maybe like a hot dog stand. There's gotta be a place for Will Harris somewhere. Yep. Yep. I mean, I'm not sure he's up to being Rory. I'm not sure I could have him in that role because I think that he's just not going to deliver there, unfortunately. But Hot Dog Sand, I can definitely see. Yeah. Right, let's move on to the game. There would, there would be dropped hot dogs, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. I want to say something about missed tackles or, or fumbled, you know, uh, busted coverages, but I'm not sure how how I can get that into a hot dog joke. Um yeah. I mean, maybe you get a hot dog and there'll be two bits of bread, but no hot dog in it, possibly. I, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, that's the worst. So you go up for a hot dog, it sweeps out your bun. I mean, we've all done it. We've all done it. Right. <laughs> Let's move on to the game. And uh, Trey Flowers was ruled out pre-game. He hadn't uh, practiced a week, so it did not come as a surprise if you had been looking at the injury reports all the way through the week. He did have two problems. I think it was shoulder and knee. So I'm hoping that both of those, well, get fixed as soon as possible because there is a gaping hole not only where he was, and I, I know there are some detractors amongst the Royal Alliance guys with Trey Flowers, but we need him now more than ever because if nothing else, he provides the only at least replacement level work on those edges, Steve. We, we need some jaded veterans to um, take some of the heat over the next few weeks and Trey Flowers would fill that category perfectly. 
Yeah. <laughs> right, so Lions 14, Bears 24. Just to recap a few of the uh, a few of the highlights, shall I call it, that, that I saw when we came through. And I'm not going to do it like I did last time, going through drive by drive, because it's just too much and, and I don't want to. Um, <laughs> but the first drive for Detroit ended up with Ragnall's muffed snap to Goff early on in first and goal. Listening to Dan Campbell, he said that the, the toe injury that Ragnall suffered wasn't on that play. That was a play that Ragnall left the game. But he actually suffered it at least before that. But there was an indication that it may not have happened in the game. I'm not sure whether I'm reading too much into it or whether it was just in the 10 snaps preceding that. But could... I don't think the muff snap could have been as a result of Ragnall's injury. So I'm not really sure why he managed to leave the game after that snap. Can anyone talk any sense into me about what's happened here? Um, it, it looked like Goff tried to change the play and Ragnall just wasn't on the same page and it just all went tits up. Yeah. I mean, it was just a cluster. <laughs> Amongst a series of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was really gutting, though, because we'd actually proceeded really well down the field to get to, what was it? It was first and goal from the five, maybe, and we'd, we'd made short work of their defence all the way through. Yeah, and I, th I think, um, you know, the, the one achievement of the Lions on, on Sunday was the fact that for the second week running, we've made history. So with a, obviously the previous week, it was a, having a 66-yard field goal scored on us. So that's a little bit of history there on the Lions. And, and this week, we, we hit a new a historical low. Um, so apparently, we are the first team since 1993 to have driven the ball inside the opponent's 10 on our first three drives and failed to score a single point in any of them. First team since 1993 to do that. You know, you know that, what really, that takes some doing. You know what, what it was for me yesterday. What you know, the Bears are shit. That, that that's that's the thing. And I think you know Matt Nagy is a is a poor head coach. His record against us is mm, six and one, I think. So you know the quarterback situation they've got there is a joke. Yeah. Um, we, he was absolutely dominated by the Browns last week um, uh, fields and, and we just didn't put anywhere near enough pressure on him yesterday they've got a slow defence and I think we just made some really poor decisions yesterday Against, I, I get that field goals don't win you games but against such a poor team like the Bears I think we had a couple of really easy ones that we should have put through you know for me I, I get the the call about, you know, I get the thing about him being aggressive and we like that, but there's a fine line between aggressive and stupid. And I think we saw that yesterday, you know, that I, I think there was a naivety yesterday at times in play calling. And it just makes you think the amount of times, what does it do for a defense if you come away um, having shut out so many times like that against a team lacking confidence? I think we didn't do ourselves any favors yesterday. I mean, I've written down here, we had four plays at the eight, the five, the three, and the eight came away with nothing. Two, two lost on downs and two fumbles, and you just can't win games that way against no. anyone. Let me let me read some of the comments. 
to you guys just so I can kind of fire back a little bit from what they're saying. So let me first start with um, One Pride 40. No, one, no, one Funky Lions fan, beg your pardon. So he said, fourth and goal from the five in the first half, you need to kick. But he needs to learn to control his aggression. It just needs to be smart about his aggression. But one pride force, he replied with, maybe a little bit, but I want him to be aggressive. Do you want him to be conservative? So what you're saying, Martin, is just that there's, a, there's an in-between. Yeah, I think so. I think yesterday, particularly that final one, the fourth and, was it fourth and one with three to go? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, for me, that we should have taken the field goal there. The time was on the clock. We would have made it to one score game. Why not? I get why we're going for it. And I, I guess, you know, I get that it could, if it worked out differently, you know, hindsight's a great thing. But there were a couple of occasions I think we could have come away with the field goals and made it a much tighter game. They're not a good team. They're not a good team. We made it easy for them yesterday. Um, and that's what's so frustrating. Yeah, yeah, I think I think in terms of the fans criticising Campbell on this, you know, we've had three years of a head coach that never went for it, that always kicked the field goal, that always punted, that was just the absolute worst for like negative decision making. And you know, the fans are all like, we want someone aggressive, we want someone that's going to go for it, we want someone that's going to throw the dice. You know, we want that kind of riverboat one kind of like character that's going to, you know, gamble. And now we've got that in Campbell, who's been making really, really strong, aggressive, you know, decisive moves in terms of going for it. Everyone's like, oh, no, no, we don't want this. This is, you know, what's he doing? And yeah, there is a middle ground, but I've got no issue with any of Campbell's calls. It was the execution where that went wrong. Like he made the right calls. And in terms of the analytics, I think that it's backed up every time by the analytics. He made all the right calls, but the execution was so bad. So, yeah. so bad. So what I would say on terms of in terms of decisions is I agree with every single one in terms of going for it or not going for it, apart from the fourth and five, which I think was early on in the game. And I just thought, your chances of converting from fourth and five are low. You're in you know, the red zone, which means it's already condensed, but you're far enough away. I, strangely enough, I kind of feel more comfortable the further you are away in that situation because it actually gives you a bit more room. That one's actually far enough away from the goal line that you can't run it, but close enough that it's condensed. So I hate that call. But every other call I really, really like, including all of the fourth and ones, but pretty much every single play call I hated. They was just all wrong. All wrong. I, I, was I, talking, I, sorry. I think, me, sorry, I think it depends on like this season, I think we generally all admit before the season started it was going to be a difficult struggle. And I think, you know, everybody thought that from the word go. And I, we haven't seen anything to suggest anything differently. However, I think with some better players and, and some more cohesion, I think that aggressive play calling will be great down the line. And I think at the moment, we're just having to deal with a lack of talent in some of those areas, which is letting us down. So... I agree with Steve to an extent that the play calling I get, but with this group of players, if we, it depends if we're saying, are we trying to win a game here in the, or in the is the bigger picture more important? So the bigger picture is more important than I'm fine with the aggressive play going. If we're actually trying to win some games this year, I think this was a winnable game on field goals yesterday. So that, that's where I am with that one. But, you know, I, I suppose one win, two win, three wins isn't, 
it's nothing major anyway at the end of the day. I, I guess when you think about in terms of the analytics, in terms of like if you do a thought experiment in your head from the 10 points down with the fourth and one, and you say you would kick the field goal to bring it to a one possession game. So here's how I would break that down. You're unlikely to get a better chance to score a touchdown in the rest of the game. There's time on the clock. You have to make a defensive stop, get the ball back, drive down the field and score a touchdown, which is hard. And when you do that, you tie the game and potentially then there's still a 50-50 chance you lose the game. So that gives you a tremendous chance to definitely lose the game is how I see that call. Whereas fourth and one, you should convert more than 50% of the time. Fourth and two, probably about 50% of the time. Fourth and one, I'd say maybe 60, 65%. You score a touchdown. If you do end up getting a field goal when you make the stop, if you make the stop, then it's a tie and you've still got a good chance to lose the game or win the game. But then if you actually do get the ball back and get that second touchdown you need, you can actually win the game. So out of all of the unlikely things that happen, you have, in the first instance, an unlikely tie to lose the game. And in the second one, an unlikely way to win the game, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, the, the, the problem is, though, is the reason we can't kick a field goal at that point is because the minute that Fields got hold of the ball and started to throw it, we were getting torched left, right and centre. Mm-hmm. So Fields was able to make some throws at will. You know, I mean, Darnell Mooney has just been a complete non-starter all year. He's been anonymous. He's done absolutely fuck all. And we made Darnell... Mooney looked like the, you know, the, the new incarnation of Calvin Johnson. Um, you know, it, he made two or three massive throws. And, and if, if our defence is just going to be able to give up chunk plays all the time like that, we can't be kicking field goals. We have to score. It's the first 100-yard first receiving game of his career yesterday. So uh, the, the thing is, yeah, I get... I get that. And I think I, I can get the argument for going for the touchdown on the basis that the defence struggles to make the stop anyway. So, yeah, I, I get that on the flip side. But I'm saying with better players, I think you can be a little more flexible on that. But, I yeah. Mean, I, I guess I would say that the defence turned a corner at half-time and actually did start playing better. But I think potentially that was because Chicago were far more conservative and more predictable in the second half because they didn't need to be aggressive or as aggressive, yeah. which is why when they needed to be, they were so effective when they wanted to go down the field in the second half because we weren't expecting that. Um, I, 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 I do kind of sorry. I was, I was just saying, I think it's interesting this year actually when you look at the starts that we've made to games. Last year we started some games pretty quick. This year, really, really slow. I think this is the second week in a row without any points in the first half. But I don't know. Those are generally scripted plays at the start of games as well, which is a worry. Um, that on some of those drives, those scripted drives, we're not getting. You know, we're not scoring from them or. Goff can't execute them or we haven't got the wide receivers to carry out that um, those drives. But yeah, I think 69-27 in aggregate points in first halves this season. So big gap there. Yeah, I, chasing I, games is a difficulty for us as well. I, I, I don't, I've got to take it issue with just talking about the defence playing well. The, the defence did not play well at any point the defence at points played slightly less worse. I mean, I, I did say played play better. Well. I did say played better. I didn't mean played well. Yeah, I mean, we, we've, got to, we've got to accept that, you know, even with the injection of talent and a Lee McNeil and Levi and, 
you know, they're still not playing well. This is still a, a defence that, you know, we couldn't stop the run. I mean, again, David Montgomery, anonymous all season, and all of a sudden he's charging through the middle of us like Walter Payton. You know, we, we just didn't stop the run um, and we got burnt in the secondary. So I think what's frustrating is we it looked like last week as though we turned the corner on that and I thought, you know what, we're getting a tune out of what, what little we've got there. Um, and then this week just reverted to type, just same old mistakes, same things as last year. Can't stop the run, can't get a stop. But yeah, just so frustrating because it seems to be one step forward, two steps back at times. Yeah. So question in from Depp Fan Man. He said, where is Charles Harris on your list of current active best Lions defenders? He's just hit his single season career sack record of three after another sack in this game. I have my own thoughts on this, but I'll, I'll go to Steve first. Um, well, his you know his PFF grade was forty one point two, and he had three missed tackles. Um, his um, running grade was thirty eight point two. Yeah, he was probably our best pass rusher when Saquara was injured. Um, but did he get a sack? Uh, yeah, he did. No, he, he got, got one, one sack. He got one sack and one QB hit. Um, yeah, it, like there was, he flashed a couple of things, but you know, for everything that he could do, there was a lot of stuff that he wasn't doing. So he was okay, but you know, if you think about the talent that he's up against when you're trying to make comparisons, you know, there's just so little there. Right, you might. And what did you see from Charles Harris? Yeah. I mean, I thought he he was the only one with any real pass rush on um, for fields. But yeah, I, I'd agree with what, what what Steve said there on that. So, I mean, just for me, Charles Harris was, a, was one of the biggest problems in this game for me because all the success that Steve just mentioned that David Montgomery had effectively came through that left-hand side, which is where Charles Harris was. He was an atrocious run defender. Like, the gaps they were opening up were so bad. How do you think Aline McNeil graded so well at nose tackle and they had so much running efficiency with David Montgomery basically running between the tackles? It must have happened at the edges and Charles Harris was the main person at fault for that. So yeah, he got a sack and the sack was beautiful, by the way. The spin move, the acceleration out of it to hit fields, got the full force of him onto the quarterback. It was really, really nice. But it, it was a horrific day for him. And the thing is, that PFF grade includes the sack. You take that out of there. That's a career worst day for him, potentially. And he hasn't been good in his career. So, you know, I have some very strong feelings about that. And this is where you miss flowers. And I'm sorry to harp on about this, because I know Steve will probably take the piss out of me for it anyway. But flowers does the dirty work, doesn't get noticed, especially in run defense. Flowers sets that edge... Montgomery doesn't have that sort of day. He just doesn't. So I think we really missed that because I think we could have been much, much closer in this game with him and the team. Yeah, I mean, you know, Flowers can set an edge, but Flowers wasn't there. And, you know, the whole... If you look around the NFL at the moment, you know, you've got teams that are absolutely decimated by injuries, but you've got teams with a real next-man-up mentality. And you've seen that happening all around the league. Players coming in, you know, off the bench, off the practice squad and making plays. And the guys that are coming in for us 
from you know from the kind of bottom end of the roster they look like they're learning football on the job they're, they're not making plays you know they are they you know they're turning up they're putting the uniform on you know they're flying themselves about but the execution is just appalling you like even if you think consider the ravens from last week how banged up they were you know and they're still i mean they turned over um I can't remember they played yesterday, but you know they won again yesterday. The, the depth Bit is the Broncos, there. Yeah. yeah, the depth is there in that squad. Um, you know to keep turning up, and we don't have that. You know we we said that at the start of the season. We're a few injuries away from a disaster, and we're approaching that as we stand. I think at the moment with with you know we lost Aquara now. Obviously Akuda's gone for the season. So what what pieces we do have are quickly falling down and it does leave you wondering the the question is where is a win going to come from i mean the oh. thing is at the moment we've all been saying oh we're going to beat teams like the texans and people of that sort of standard really really low down whereas now i'm at the point where i'm saying we'll give them a good game which is mm. a bit worrying um but we I should think... we should have won the game by now. You know, we, we definitely should have. have any any other time, you would have said we would be we would have beaten the Ravens in that game. So, it to get to that at the end of last Sunday, I felt like Do you know what it's gutting to lose that way. But we are looking better, and we are closing in on finding that win. So I was really confident this week, and you know what I'm like. I'm not that kind of person when it comes to the Lions, especially. I was really confident this week that we would come away with with a win because of how poor the Bears are. And then to be 14-0 down, halftime 14-0, was it, I think? And I just think, well, where is it going to, where is it going to happen? Yeah, I, I, I said I said before the season we would finish 5-12 uh, and four, no, was my prediction. Um, and I had like, I had earmarked, I, I think I said that we'd lose to the Bears away, but we'd beat them at Soldier Field. And I think, the Bears at home, the Bengals, the Eagles, uh, the Falcons were the games I've got earmarked. I think the actual only winnable game for us is going to be against the Packers on the 9th of January because I think we'll be playing like the Packers' third, second and third string team because I think the Packers will have, will have qualified and, and probably got home field advantage. Um, and I think that's probably their best chance of win. I can't see us beating the Falcons because the Falcons actually looked... Okay, against the Washington yesterday, they, they looked they looked all right. I mean, they, they didn't look as bad as we did. You know, no. They didn't look as bad as Chicago did last week. Okay, it's they a, looked at least a cohesive football team. It's the injuries that make you, you know, the mountain injuries that you just think we can't survive those. And you know, I'd be terrified if it's zero and sixteen going into that last game against the Packers as well. Because I can remember when it was zero and fifteen going in against them last time. So. I don't want to see uh, celebrations like that again. But I honestly looked down the schedule and I think I said three wins this season, three and 13, I might have said. But, you know, it is starting to look as though that's quite optimistic. But if you'd asked me last week, I would have been confident with that. So, you know, you never know, I guess. Yeah. yeah. We played the Bengals and we, I mean, we're playing the Vikings next. I'm telling you now, we're not beating the Vikings. Absolutely no chance. No way are we beating the Vikings in Minnesota. Um, and then the next winnable game is the Bengals. Bengals are three and one and are looking half decent. 
who's going to cover Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T Higgins? Yeah, no chance. That's a quarterback no. that is going to throw the ball as well. So we've got absolutely no chance against the Bengals. I don't see it at all. And I, I agree with you against the Vikings. The only thing is the divisional games are always quite funny and, and teams can outthink themselves. And so, you know, it happened to us in this game, but there's always a risk it can happen to the Vikings too. I won't rule it out, but it does look terrifically unlikely right now. One thing I wanted to talk about in this game, actually, before perhaps we move on to some of the bigger themes, is just how lucky the Lions were. Because it doesn't feel it, because we shot ourselves in the foot. But let me just talk you through some of the plays that happened in this game. DeAndre Swift fumbled the ball on a run. He was called down by contact, could not review the play. But the ball was probably out before his knee hit. Don't know if you remember that. It happened, I think, middle of the first quarter, maybe late first quarter. So that play goes in the Lions' favour. Um, there was an interception, as it was called by the commentators, which looked like it probably was an incomplete pass, but it was bloody close to being caught and probably should have been caught by Chicago. You had a roughing the passer penalty called on Goff because he had the tenacity to be touched on the helmet. That was a very fortunate one. It was the right call, but it's so close to not being called, and then the drive has finished. Um, you had the illegal forward pass on the fumble, where they were away for a touchdown, kind of did a little like nice rugby pass, but it was forward, so that got called back quite a long way. You had the interception, which was a great play by Jalen Reeves-Maven, but Fields should never have been thrown there. It's a mistake that only a rookie could make, really. There was a snap on the false start penalty that Detroit had where the snap wasn't anywhere close to Jared Goff, went way over his head, but because it was a false start and they can't, you know, decline that penalty, the Lions actually get away with that one. Um, on a punt, a Lions coverage guy hit the guy who was meant to be catching the ball. Now, the ball was actually landing behind him and he was leaving it, but he was quite close to the ball. So I thought that could have been called fair catch interference but it wasn't. We got a fair catch interference in our favour, despite the fact it looked like it hit him as the ball was caught. Jared Goff threw a running back screen right at the hands of a defensive player. Should have been intercepted, but wasn't. What else was there? Um, there was a penalty that, um, that Tonga, the nose tackle, did, I remember, that mm -hmm. didn't look like a penalty and that majorly got us out of a hole somewhere i can't remember where, where it was but i remember thinking to myself that was lucky and then goff recovered his strip sack now steve mentioned that fields recovered his own strip sack but i'm not talking about chicago being lucky i'm talking about detroit being lucky and we were very lucky in that now those are just those plays and obviously the lions did get down to the red zone five times so they did a lot right in this game. Like, you don't progress that far down the field without doing quite a lot right. But so much went in our favour, and so much was done badly in play calling in the times that really, really mattered, that it's so hard to fathom how this game went this way. Yeah, I mean, let, pick out a, a couple of positives. You know, we moved the chains between the 20 and the 20 really well. Like for the most part, you know, we were able to to make plays. I thought um, Khalif Raymond had a bit of a breakout game. I, th I thought he looked really good when he caught the ball. 
good turn of speed, good yards after the catch. I, I thought I, I was really impressed with him. I thought Cephas was good again. Um, and I thought Jamal Williams, you know, always looked capable of picking up five, six yards. So there were some positives. And, and Goff made one really, really good play where the pocket was kind of collapsing and he kind of jinked left, pushed up, went right, dodged around the defender and made a really good throw. And I was like, holy shit, we've got a mobile quarterback. But obviously it was the only time he did it. And there was then some a, a series of horrific blunders to follow. But it just shows you that he can do it periodically. One funky Lions fan said the hit flag by Tonga apparently was after the whistle and that's a flag. I, I actually don't remember this play. I've only watched it through one and a half times on the 40 minute highlights because I wasn't there live. So I, I don't remember that play. But I, um, his word for it. I noticed a bit of chat last night about uh, Penny Sewell as well. I know he, he didn't have the best of games yesterday. Um, but there seems to be, I mean, it's always the case with a, a first round pick. I think people are very quick. Same was with Akuda, quick to criticise. And I think the guy needs some time. I think what, what I've noticed in this first, these last two weeks, he struggled against real speed. So he struggled in that position the last couple of weeks. And obviously that's something that maybe when he switches sides again, that might be, it depends who he comes up against, I think. But it's um, it was a worry yesterday. Um, you know, in a game when we really needed him. I didn't think he had a great game yesterday, but, you know, it's easy to pace some of these people when, when they're um, rookies and you just need a bit of time, I think. Um, yeah. I would agree with with what you've said about um, Khalif Raymond. I was really impressed with him yesterday and I thought he made a couple of good catches. Um, but the, I'd be really interested to hear people's opinion on Goff, whether it's, it's yours or, or people watching on YouTube because, we're reaching, I, I don't want to write somebody off after four games, but it's it's a real difficult one because you feel like you're on a bit of a roller coaster with him. Sometimes he's absolutely brilliant. You think great. Other times this looks like a really average player. Um, and, and then that can be, you know, that can be players around him not making that look easy for him either, but. Yeah, it, it, I'm really interested what other people's views are on that. I don't want to write somebody off so early, but I kind of am. It wasn't a, a, it wasn't a, um, a roller coaster for me. It was a ghost train. That's <laughs> that's what Goff's performance was. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, I'm really struggling to stay on that positive side of everything because like Steve said, in isolated moments, he shows that he has the quality of it. And there was one specific drive. Let me read my notes on this because it was interesting. Short, easily, short, easy completions. Sack given up by Saul inside. Lovely throw on Amon Ra, uh, to Amon Ra. Then again to Hodge. Then again to Raymond touchdown. Like there were three or four consecutive plays after the Saul sack that were exceptional. And The second touchdown was a great pass. I thought it was a really great pass. Um... And and that that is you know that is where he he moved when he moves his feet, he, he he looks like he can provide that that bit of spark that you need. And then other times, you know, the fumbles and the even that last drive, the poor execution of that pass. Um, you know, I think there was another one with Raymond was wide open and he missed the pass. Yeah, I can't remember where what what point of the game that was, but I seem to remember it so. Yeah, there, there was one where there was a free play, and so he threw to Raymond yeah. down the field. 
And it, he wasn't open. He was covered somewhat. But it's a throw that you could make. And he threw it kind of behind him. It came off Raymond's hands. But he didn't really have a chance to catch a ball unless you've got, like, Calvin Johnson-sized hands. So, yeah, that, that sucked. I mean, I think the thing for me is Goff is making mistakes that aren't to do with chemistry with his receivers. They're not to do with feeling comfortable in his situation. They're just to do with his quality as a consistent quarterback. Just the and mechanics. Yeah, absolutely. He seems to lack a little bit of consistency in that regard. And actually, he looks better in the scramble drill than he does when the pocket is clean sometimes. Like the pass to Cephas you mentioned, but he actually scrambled a couple of times in this game and made really good throws. So like, but he's not that quarterback, at least not in terms of his reputation, he's not. But the off-script throws, Amon Ra had a couple of um, kind of good working back towards the ball type plays when the when the pocket was breaking down. And that was one thing that really impressed me, actually. All the receivers, I, I think, was there any receivers that I didn't like in this game for us? Raymond had a really good game. Cephas had a really good game. Amon Ra had a really good game. Hodge obviously had the touchdown, did quite well in his limited snaps. Um, was there anyone? Bens- Benson was perhaps the one guy that I, I wasn't enamoured by massively. He did okay. I, but- I didn't think Hock had a good game. I thought Hock, Hock um, struggled to get separation. I think the problem with Hock is we just use him too much. And everyone knows that it's one of Goff's principal reads. And they're always looking for the ball. And and Hock, to me, just looked a bit frustrated and just wasn't kind of like on his game. Um, and when you take Hock out, out of our offence, then it, it, it's a major option gone. I, th- yeah. I think the problem with Goff for me is Goff looks like a rookie all the time. He looks yeah. like he's playing with this kind of like horrible nervous energy that he could at any point you know, make a mistake if, if you want someone that can fire like 15 yard passes, like, you know, low trajectory straight into a receiver, Goff's not bad. He can make that throw all the time. If you want anything that requires touch, it just seems he's lost his touch either on the short passes or anything long that needs a bit of air and floated. He's, he's just so overthrowing them. Yeah. And he just looks like a guy who's just confidence is shot. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. I think, you know, that was the concern when he came that, you know, the, the last couple of seasons, his confidence has taken a beating. And I think behind a team that's, that's also got low confidence, it's not a great combination. And I think we're seeing that. But, you know, I, I guess we've got the rest of the season with him. So we'll see how things go. But I just think with, I don't want to mention the name, but I think with a different quarterback, we may well have seen at least one win on the board by now. A different I, quarterback. I mean, I, I dare say that... Say, with, say the name. I no, dare, I can't say the name. I dare <laughs> say that with a different quarterback, we might have been 3-1. and one. That's, that's a stretch. I but, don't think it is, though. I, I, re- I think that... You don't the, mean the first game? No, I don't mean the first game. I think, yeah. I think that we potentially win the next three considering how the games went. I just think that Stafford can do everything that Goff can do and not have as many mistakes. People will pick on Stafford's mistakes, but he tended to not stack those mistakes. And sometimes the, the mistakes he made were back-breaking. But, I mean, we had four back-breakers in this last game and we lost by 10. Like, it's insane. 
you know, we were still in this game all the way through. We were never out of this. So, I don't know. It's 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 frustrating. Um, let's talk about the Lions' D line particularly. So I I mentioned about Charles Harris earlier, and Aleem had kind of a good day. But Montgomery obviously kind of torched us. What happened? Do you think with that, it seemed like at least for a large part of the game, run or pass, that you know Fields had a lot of time in the pocket, despite the fact that this this Bears O line is awful. Why terrible? Why couldn't we do anything in the run or the pass game? What what was it? There, just, there wasn't enough pass rush, was there at all on Fields? I mean, a guy that's that's got that came into the game with very little confidence, just was not under the pressure from the word go that we'd done so well actually the week before. You know, I think we did a great job on Lamar Jackson the week before in terms of pressure, really did. And this week, that's what that what that's what convinced me that I thought we would win this week. I thought if we can apply that again to to that rookie quarterback, then I can't see how you know we can't win that game. But it just disappeared. That, that, I mean, it's it's just a frustration, isn't it? I just I cannot. You you can't say the same the same mistakes are happening every week, but also a rotation of those mistakes. So some weeks will be will be good on the pass rush. Other weeks, then we will do be pretty much non-existent, like yesterday. And uh, I don't know. I'm just at a loss to say how we allowed that game to, to just go away from us so much yesterday. And then, like you say, always be within touching distance of it made it even more frustrating. Even at 14, uh, 14 to nil, you just thought, well, score the first one of the halftime and it's game on because they're so poor. You know, they're lacking confidence, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I just It's just a frustration, isn't it? Yeah, and it, I think it shows the limitations. And But, you know, this is where I, I just rather they just put Levi and Aleem in and gave them like 45 snaps per game and just let them learn their craft. Like, why limit them? Just let them learn, you know, um, because we're, we're not getting, I, I don't know what we're getting from letting Brockers and, you know, Harris, I guess, you know, we, we know what these guys are like and what we're going to get from them. And they're, they're just, you know, they're just very, very average. And when you think about how, I, I know, I know that the Browns have got like Miles Garrett and, you know, they absolutely molested the Bears O-line, but we just made them look, you know, we made them look good. And the Bears are not a good football team. And they've got a fucking terrible O-line and we just made I- them look good. I can't even remember many third and longs that they, that we restricted them to. Oh, no, there, there were a few. Third and four, third and six. There were some of them in there and a couple of fourth downs as well, but they just converted them with ease. That was yeah. the problem. We were really bad on third and fourth down. One of the, one of the turning points was um, right at the start on their first drive, we, they were moving the chains and then we stopped them. Um, we, we get... We, we stopped them on a fourth and one, or we got to a fourth and one, and then and they went for it on fourth and one. And AJ Parker had a tackle behind the line of scrimmage um, that would have just killed that play. And you know he just missed the tackle, 
and the Bears ran another seven or eight yards, and that was it. They were rolling then, and that was like their first score. And, and that was just symptomatic of the play all, all day. And then I think you go back to the week before, and I thought that's something we did really well. You know, if you think about even the the pre the last drive for the Ravens, the pressure on the the quarterback and the pressure that was applied was so much better than yesterday. And that's what I can't understand the difference between the performance from the week before and the performance yesterday, even despite the limitations. I'm just looking through back through the stats because this doesn't ring true to me. Even I've just said something totally contradicts what the stats say. Bears were one for eight on third down. Martin just said he didn't remember any third and longs, but they converted once on third down, and they were one for one on fourth. I think they probably just converted a lot of second downs. Maybe, but they had eight, and we had 11 third downs, but we had 10 more plays in them. So, like, it, it doesn't make sense. So, in terms of yards of offense, we were only 25 yards behind them with one less drive. Ah, it... Basically, it all but, comes back to we shot ourselves in the foot and didn't convert our red zone opportunity. Yeah, right? I mean, and this is where you would expect Hock to really step up in the red zone, but everyone knows where the ball's going. Everyone knows we're going to try and get it to, to TJ Hawkinson. That's the problem. We, you, know, we, you need to have in a team multiple red zone threats, um, you know, which is why when you see the 49ers, when they put Kittle in, but then... Um, Carl Justek take, takes it in for the touchdown. Um, you know, we, we need to have options. And and that's my only criticism of Campbell, really, is I think he should have used Jamal Williams more in the red zone because I think he always looked like getting the ball over the line for, for a TD. So Ashley's made a great point in the Twitch chat, which is that someone came to us with proven red zone pedigree, someone who has made a reputation for himself since he last left the Lions that he scores lots of touchdowns in the red zone, catching the ball. And that's Darren Fells, someone who didn't score many touchdowns here the first time and isn't getting much of an opportunity now. You know, the former basketball player, 6'8", I think, absolutely man-mountain. Like Steve's kind of been saying, Go away from the obvious sometimes. There are other things you can do here. One thing I was talking about with Steve before we came on was that in terms of the play calling in the important moments, so the fourth and ones, the third and twos, that sort of thing, passing is fine, but it depends how you line up formation-wise in terms of doing that Mm. pass. So if you're spreading it out five wide, unless Goff is tucking it and running, which is particularly risky when you've only got five defenders... They know you're passing. They know there's no prospect of you running, even though it's a short yardage situation. So they can defend that all out with, you know, full coverage guys out there. And that's going to be really hard to make happen. I know that's kind of Goff's shtick from college, his spread offense, and that's what he's comfortable in. But it clearly didn't work. Now, if you're passing out of the eye formation, threatening the run, you go play action... Or even don't go play action, just drop back in the eye formation and make a pass to a tight end who's on the line, kind of coming in and doing a stick route. That's great, because at least you're threatening something and you're making the defense think about what you're doing. But so often in this game, we telegraphed what we were thinking. There was no misdirection. There was a little bit of motion pre-snap, which, you know, we've done a lot of. 
But my question is, what is the motion doing for us? Because I haven't seen a big difference in the results. Yeah, Darren Fells only got 19 snaps compared to Hawkinson's 58. Um, I, you know, I, I would have thought that we that Campbell would have used two tight end formations more, but no, we 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 absolutely didn't, and and we looked like we were always trying the same play in the red zone, always that you know that little throw that they were just yeah you know, their secondary was absolutely all over. They were just looking for it. Yeah, I think I'm just a bit defeated. Like, so. For, for those guys who don't know, I wasn't able to watch it live. I was at another sporting event and I saw a load of the kind of commentary coming through from the Discord chat and it sounded like a massacre. Like, it sounded like the Bears were 40 nil up after the first quarter. Like, you know, it was absolutely horrific scenes. And then I watched it through this morning and I kind of came away thinking, well, my expectations were really low, but I thought we were okay. Like, Given what was sold to me, like it felt like the commentary on this team was perhaps slightly un unwarranted. Like in the crucial moments, we shot ourselves in the foot, but we played like at least on offense, we played sixty percent of a good game, maybe seventy percent of a good game. I mean, Steve said you know between the twenties we did well, but it's not even that. Between the fives, we did well. You know, like for ninety yards of the field, we were ruthless. And then just kind of chucked it away in the crucial moments. Maybe it's just that this team lacks a bit of clutch mentality from the coaches and from Goff. You know, you go back to what Dan Campbell said a few weeks ago about, you know, there's a very small margin for error with this team. And, and we're seeing that week on week. We saw it last week. We saw it yesterday. Um, but my concern as, as this goes on is, you know, 0-4 as a start to the season doesn't do a lot for confidence of a team where it's brittle anyway. Um, and that's, you know, those, those questions were being put after the game yesterday. I noticed that Garth answered, answered a question about that yesterday. Um, you know, the difficulty of being 0-4, if your confidence as a quarterback is already quite low, you've now got to go to um, Minnesota in the next game. You're not getting any easier. It's... <sighs> It'd be very, you know, hindsight's a great thing, but it would be really interesting to see what would have happened if we'd held on against the Ravens going into this week's game. Um, because I think confidence with this team is going to be a massive thing with so many rookies in there. Um, that that first win could provide a, a bit of a springboard for them. But, you know, the schedule has done us no favours this year. It's been so tough. But, um, you know, we I think... At times, we, we said at the start of the year it's going to be a tough year, and I think we have to accept that and and have to just play the long game with this. Um, expectations were low anyway. We've just got to make sure that you know we're making those improvements, and those guys that are going to be around as part of this rebuild are, are you know getting that getting that scheme and then building for future years. And I think the future certainly looks a lot brighter than if I'm looking on a positive side doesn't help losing every week um, nobody wants to do that but you know I think we've got to look at the bigger picture in some of these things and we're you know we're getting a chance to look at golf and is golf up to it we're thinking at the moment probably not you know we're short of wide receivers we know that already 
Um, but, but are we though? Because the receivers actually played quite well in this game. Yeah, but I think they're not. They're not. They're good backup. I think if you've got a, if you've got you know some class wide receivers to come in, they, they'd be provide solid backup, which is what you need to be if you're going to be a successful team. We can't have. They're not starting playoff wide receivers for me at the moment. I don't see them develop into that. I think you've got you know if you look at around the league. There's some great wide receivers there, but those guys would provide great solid backup for them. And I think that's where we, you know, we need to be looking at next. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, um, first of all, just going back to, to Goff and Stafford, and I don't want to labour the point, but I think the issue with what we're talking about is intangibles. And with Stafford, there was always that confidence. And I, I remember when we were playing the Falcons and like remember the, the Todd Gurley, uh, like brain fade, like moment. And when we got the ball back, I was 100% confident that Stafford was going to get us down the field in like, I think we had like a minute and 15 seconds. Never occurred to me that Stafford wasn't going to do it. You know, maybe one of our receivers would have dropped the ball or, you know, maybe something horrific would have happened, but Stafford was not going to be the problem. Stafford was going to make those throws. And with Goff, he, he looks really short of confidence and he's like I say he's got that nervousness and everything that he does that just rubs off I think on the rest of the team and I think in terms of receivers I was watching a bit of red zone yesterday in between the games and um, the Giants and the Saints got down to like I think they were 21 each or it was really really close and the, the Giants you know Golladay's had a pretty poor season and has done fuck all for the Giants but it came down to that clutch moment at the end of the game and Danny, uh, Daniel Jones found Golladay. Golladay made a big catch and ran it 20 yards and, you know, set up, I think, the, the Barkley running touchdown at the end. And that's the ability that someone like Golladay has. He is a real wide receiver one. He mm. can go up against the other team's cornerback one and make that, you know, it doesn't matter the coverage, he, he will make the catch. And that's just what we don't have. And first of all, that's bad for Goff. And secondly, that's something that we absolutely have to address. And you, know, you can see like what a difference that Jamar Chase has made for the Bengals. I, I still think it was the right thing for do to draft Saul ahead of Chase. I'm not, I'm not trying to make a draft comparison, but I'm just saying when you have someone like Chase or Justin Jefferson last year for the Vikings, these players are like transformational in terms of being able to make the catch, yards after the catch, a huge chunk play. And, you know, we just don't have anyone that can do that regularly. I think Raymond did well. I'm not convinced by Amon Ra at all. I think he's been okay. But, you know, we just want someone who's just that next level, who can just pull a play out of nowhere. And that's what we need to address next year with the draft capital that we've got. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I, guess I, I absolutely want to make sure we go big on D, but we also need to make sure we've got a, a wide receiver talent in the in the room. I think with Amon Ra, the thing is, what are your expectations? He fell into the top of the fourth round, and that's probably for a reason. And then given what he showed during the preseason, given what he showed yesterday, which was very good, Amon Ra was very good yesterday. He, well, he, he he's lost a, one route at a really crucial time. Okay. Well, fine, but he had several catches in, in clutch moments on third down to keep 
the chains moving as well. So, you know, it swings and roundabouts for a rookie, right? You're, you're thinking about a rookie who has had four total games, of which maybe the first two he had almost no snaps whatsoever. So... Yeah, but look at look how Chase made has made an impact straight away, okay, like yeah. straight away. Fine, but you're talking about the number six overall pick versus 101st. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Now, absolutely. But my expectations were that Amon Ra was going to have a developmental season. He was going to be used sparingly, and he was going to learn his craft. But then he caught a few passes in preseason. Everyone talked him up and said, oh, we've got a steal here. This guy should have been a first rounder. I can't believe we got him in the fourth round. And now he's effectively our wide receiver one. And, you know, he, he looks way off where he needs to be. And yeah. that's, I'm not really criticising him. I'm criticising how he's been used and how a fourth round pick all of a sudden is like our go-to guy. That, I think I mean, that is, and that is an indictment of Quinn and Patricia <laughs> and the roster that they built, more I, than I, anything to do with Dan Campbell. I, I would agree with um, with that definitely, and it was the point I was making before about, you know, if that's your wide receivers, then you ain't going to the playoffs. If they first choice wide receivers, oh, yeah. even moving forward, they're not going to be, you're not going to be a playoff team. And I think it's all right saying you know, they've done well. They have done well at the moment for me in the limitations that they are. I don't think, you know, we had very high expectations of them at all. But I think not having those one one and two wide receivers, the top class wide receivers that you need, takes weapons out of that offence immediately and makes it a very predictable team to play against. And I think we've seen that in these first four weeks. Um, you know, Swift and um, Williams, I think, have done have done a reasonably good job as running backs, and I think they've been used a lot because of that limitation of that wide receiving. And I think that's where TJ is struggling as well because teams know that's one of our major threats, and they're just nullifying him every week, the, the, particularly the last couple of weeks. So, without those strong wide receivers, I think it does cause a lot of limitations, and it does make it very very predictable. I, I completely agree. And actually, the thing that Amon Ra suffers with is when it comes down to a clutch moment, Amon Ra's a slot receiver and TJ's a slot receiver. So you go and TJ. And so Amon Ra doesn't get those important snaps where actually I think he could be very good for us. But there's no misdirection, as we've kind of talked about before. TJ's a guy, so we're going to get him the ball. And it's like, actually, no, try someone else. I do think that a wide receiver, one of legitimate talent, could transform this team. I think it only takes one. But I think Raymond has it to be a WR2. I think he's shown enough that his ceiling is a good WR2, but he has to play well to do that. And I think Amara could be a good WR3, but you need that high-quality WR1 to attract the attention that they do inevitably. Yeah, that- and, and, and just going back to... I don't want to keep going on about the Bengals. I said we always talk about the Bengals. You're in love. I really Steve. don't know why. I'm, I'm really not. Um, <laughs> but going back to Chase, the reason why Chase has been able to make an impact is because they've got T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. So Chase isn't always going up against a CB1. And you know it's exactly why Jefferson did well last season, because they had Thielen to take away a lot of the heat in the secondary, and Jefferson was able to like make a breakout. And this is the thing with Amon Ra. We've got a fourth-round pick that effectively is always going to be up against their, their top um, second, you know, the top players in the secondary, and that's 
why it doesn't work. And that's why I just think this roster is so unbalanced. Yeah. And I understand we're in a rebuild, but you know, this could have been a, a, an opportunity to bring in a, a free agent. Um, you know, I, and I'm not saying that this is the guy for us, but you know, I saw like AJ Green catching passes. I can't remember who's playing for. Now. Yeah, I know, I know, but so, someone like that, someone that's got some veteran ability, because I'm I'm just looking at the current roster and that wide receiver room, and I'm like, who are these guys learning from? Yeah, like, exactly. Where's the kind of like learning support? I think you know, I still wouldn't. You know, I still wouldn't change the decision on Galladay. I think, you know, I think that I'm yeah. not. No, I'm, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, I totally agree with that. I think if we are we are going with these rookie wide receivers, then they don't have that person there to learn from. So, what we're calling a, a developmental year, who are they developing that from? Apart from coaching staff, you know, that's the that's the concern there. Um, so, but, so, would you would you change the decision on Marvin Jones? I think I would. Because Marvin Jones could be that guy that, that is the veteran that's helping those young young, young players develop. I, I was more disappointed by Marvin Jones going than I was Kenny Galladay because I think he would have provided that. He's, he wouldn't have to pay him a great deal, but I think it would have been, uh, uh, you know, as a, as a pro to learn from, I think it would have been great for some of these young guys this year. So, yeah, disappointing. I mean, he's doing all right for the Jags as well, I think. You know, the bits I've seen of him. Um, hopefully I get to see him in a couple of weeks uh, up close but yeah it's um, it's it's definitely a concern isn't it in terms of the rest of this year moving forward with with that group but we knew it was going to be I'm just looking through the list of free agent wide receivers at the moment and it's it's pretty dire I'm not, I'm mm. um, it's not worth going into I don't think no. at all no, no I don't think so okay so no. let, let's finish off with where's where are we going with Goff right now as in, I don't mean we're sticking with him and where's the journey going. I mean, we are where we are. And what happens if Goff gets a little bit better, a lot better, stays the same, gets a bit worse? I don't know. I don't mean to go through all of those scenarios, but what do you think happens? What would you do in this situation? If if another, if another in five or six games' time, um, a team that's... That's going for the the Super Bowl, you know, a playoff win, uh, a playoff run. Um, if they lose their QB, we should try and trade Goff to that team. That that's my view because, like, and I think I've been one of the most consistently pro Goff on the pod. And when I say pro Goff, <laughs> I mean at a very low level. I mean someone that you mean like, you were willing you know, to give him a chance. Was willing to give him a chance, but I think I think Goff's audition is already pretty clear. We we can see where this guy is, and I just don't think. I think for this season, you know, he will happily take us to a two and fifteen or three and fourteen or whatever, um, and he'll probably win us a couple of games. And he'll probably make some good throws, but long term for a rebuild, this is just not the guy. This is just absolutely not the guy. And I think if we can get rid of him at some point, we should. I, I don't think that it, this is all on Goff. I don't think Goff is, is the main reason for this. Goff is just like, you know, he's, he's something that's been been done to us. He, he, you know, he's just been a burden we've been lumbered with as part of the Stafford trade. Um, but 
it's pretty clear he's not the future. And if we can see an exit for him, we should take it. Um, I, I would just let Blair take the last five games if we could find a trade. Because I don't think the drop-off from Goff to Blair is that much. He's definitely a bridge for me at the moment. I think, you know, I, I don't know. I haven't looked a lot at the QB class for, for the next draft, to be fair, and whether that's, you know, something we want to move forward on this time around or the year after, I don't know. But I, I think having Goff in the team would stunt the development of this team more than... You, you maybe are better getting a, a rookie QB in the, in the first round next year and building around him now. Um, but it's a shame because you know you look at some of his early stuff in you know in his rookie year and the year after and when when he's playing with confidence when he's playing with those weapons around him you know he had some really good standout games and he's definitely a, a QB that runs on confidence and you can see at the moment he's not got a lot of that but it, I, I mean I didn't even consider whether there'd be a trade option for him if there was I'd definitely be be thinking that it would be a great option, particularly if we could pick up some decent draft picks with it as well. Do you think there's any improvement that could be had with him? Because clearly he has shown plays where he can do it. So do you think you can coach out the mistakes? That's the biggest question, isn't it? Can you coach out those mistakes? If you can, there's still a serviceable quarterback in there. If you can't, this is what we have. No. I, I think Goff's now in his what, sixth year, uh, and I think probably his we're, we're kind of at his ceiling. Um, I think it's all about the scheme. I think if, if you designed an entire offence around Goff um, and you kind of limited the kind of throws you were asking him to make and the, the, the schemes that he was running, you could probably get away with him being, you know, how he is, and and he would probably perform to a slight better standard. But we're, we're not in a situation where we've got the talent to build around Goff. Like, we need to, we need to, have to clear the decks from a, a QB point of view and put someone in there as a rookie who has going gonna to have a much higher ceiling. And also, I just think that that pocket passer QB um, is just... Out, out of date in terms of the modern NFL. And I, I would want to see someone, not necessarily like, you know, a dual threat, Lamar Jackson clone, but just someone that is a lot more mobile than Goff. I think you have to look at, you know, go back to what I said earlier about the bigger picture. And if the bigger picture is that you want this franchise to be a playoff team in the years to come, can you see Jared Goff being a quarterback of a Detroit Lions playoff team? And I can't. And I yeah. think... You know, it's it's a for me. It's about when we when we pull the trigger on that. Do we say, um, okay, if we can get a draft, perfect. I think that's the perfect scenario. If we can get something for him throughout this season, and then add to the draft capital that we've got for next year, that'd be perfect. But you know, in terms of to develop a side, you, you don't really want to see him in there next year. I don't think. I think it probably has to be a QB in the draft this year. Um, particularly with the two first rounders that we've got. So it's where it's where we're going to pick from. If we're the number one pick, which could, you know, potentially happen, then I think you would have to take the best quality QB there for me. I, I mean, I, I would, so far in this college campaign, I would be desperate to move out of one, maybe just a few spots, try and pick up what you can and take 
Kyle Hamilton because that's who I want. And that I, I want to do anything I can to take him. And even if that leaves me rudderless at QB or bring in a vet at $10 million a year just for one year, I would kind of be okay with that. I think my mind's been made up by Ashley in our Twitch chat because he said, and I quote, I hate to say it, but Goff is a slightly older Daniel Jones. And in my reply to him, I've said, I'm going to disagree with you because I think Daniel Jones is better than Goff at the moment. I said, I think yeah. Jones is a better runner. I think Jones is playing with more confidence and he's less flustered under pressure. There's still the same problems with both quarterbacks. And maybe that's where Ashley is going with that. But in Jones, I see a guy with a lot of upside and I don't see that in Goff anymore. And I thought I did at the start of the year and it's extinguished and it's gone. Yeah, I would, on the flip side, so I would say Jones got better players around him, better threats around him than, than Goff's got. But, you know, I take your point, you put Jones in this team and I still don't see much improvement there. But, no. you know, which which playoff team's taking Jared Goff? Which which top oh. end taking Jared Goff? Okay, so hypothetical scenario, right? Say the Cardinals, uh, I don't know, find themselves at like nine and one. And then Kyler Murray gets injured and he's out for like 10 games. Uh, and they're, they're going with Colt McCoy, I think, is their backup. Do you think the Cardinals would take Goff off our hands for, for a playoff run? That's the kind of like option that we might have. And it might seem a bit far-fetched, but these kind of things happen all the time. They do, but... Well, you know, it, it, you know, are you going to want to... Is Goff better than Colt McCoy? Yes. Yeah, yeah. But okay, but the thing is, it's not about the compensation because I dare say there's a lot of Lions fans who would take a late round pick swap. And I think we jump at that because we're getting out of that contract. But that's the problem that we have with Goff is people getting into that contract. And, you know, it's as long as it runs for and people can't get rid of it next season and he's on the books for $30 million. So I think that we would have to actually pick swap down in order to get rid of Goff. And I think this is the problem that LA were having, and this is why I think we got two firsts to Stafford and no one really wants to talk about it. But I think LA were convinced that this was going to happen with him, and they were going to go for like a, I don't mind trading a fourth-round pick if we can get a seventh in return just to get rid of Goff, like go down three rounds with a pick just to get rid of him. And then we said, actually, you can take your first and a third for Stafford and make that third a first. And and you you know you take golf and that contract off our hands. That's what I think happened, and that's where we are right now. If that's the way we're going, uh, there's a few comments in the chat. I just want to finish off with this, just so we can address it. Um, the the vein of it is summed up by John Kapler very very well, where he says, "How in the hell is a rookie going to do better with no weapons than a course back like Jared Goff?" Yeah, well, we, we made the point about wide receivers being a real priority and it is about whether you make the move for that QB before those wide receivers or after. And it's certainly an argument worth having. But yeah, it's a fair point. Uh, you know, it's one that we've made, isn't it, in terms of wide receiving class being a real priority need for us, whether that comes through free agency or whether it comes through the draft or however... You know, those two positions are really key to, I mean, we know that the defense needs a lot of uh, tooling, but, you know, we also, uh, I didn't think we would score enough points this season to win games. Actually, I've been surprised by the number of points we have put up so far, 
with the limitations that we've got. But yeah, it's it's a it's a difficult one because I wouldn't want to go into the season next year with first, you know, a wide receiver one, but Jared Goff at quarterback. Yeah, I, I, I think the, the point in the chat is, yeah, a, a rookie is going to struggle with, without any weapons, but that's why you bring someone in a rookie contract and you immediately free up some cap space that you could bring, you know, you could pay someone like Golladay. Maybe Golladay is a bad example because I think he was the wrong fit for the team, but you could bring in, like, you know, someone on a veteran wide receiver who is going to, like, flash some talent and experience. Um, but yeah, th- this is not just a one season solution. This is going to take a couple of drafts to fix because, you know, if you brought in whatever QB in this draft, whether it was Willis or, um, you know, Howell or whoever, Spencer Rattley, you could bring anyone in and, you know, they're, they're just going to be absolutely whitewashed in, in this offense because there's just nothing around them that's that gives them targets and that they're going to fail. So we, we have to address this over the next couple of drafts, but at least in, in the next draft, we've got those two first round picks. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I'm diverging from pretty much everyone on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, in terms of where I want our draft position to go in the draft position, draft strategy to go. I've seen so many people say, basically do what Carolina did draft all defense and I kind of think apart from wanting Hamilton with our first pick that I kind of want to go in completely the opposite direction I kind of want to go at the top on offense apart from the very first pick so I'd like to see a wide receiver like Drake London come in because he's a six foot five beast who can you know do really great stuff after the catch or someone to that effect late in the first because I think if you pair him with a premium free agent and what we have at wide receiver suddenly you're giving your quarterback a chance so I don't want golf and I kind of have started thinking that you know this is the beginning of the end for him already but I think that wide receiver room can change very quickly and suddenly if you have a wide receiver room that's high powered the o-line's good the running backs are good if the wide receivers become good that's an offense that you can actually be proud of again. We're only two players away from it potentially. We have to like the secondary is like I think one of the most important units in in the modern NFL. You have to have a good secondary at, at both safety and corner, and we have to address that. You know, we don't know what Akud is going to look like when he comes back. You know, the the rest of the corner back room is a mess. We've talked about Will Harris. Tracy Walker is a good second safety, but we need to have someone that is going to dominate that backfield. And for me, that's why we draft Carl Hamilton with our number one pick. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, let's wrap it up because we've gone on a bit longer than we intended. Just any final thoughts from the game, from the team, anything you want to get <laughs> off your chest? Just before We're going to be talking about the draft for so fucking long. It's only October. Oh, my God. Uh, thanks for that, Steve. Uh, <laughs> Martin, anything you want to say? Uh, I think one lesson I've learned this week is <laughs> stop being positive. And um, <laughs> I, I might get, uh, <laughs> that might get us win. I'm not predicting wins anymore 
that's it. I, I decide as soon as I saw Ante predicted a defeat, I just thought, what are you doing? Um, so yeah, no more win predicting from me, and hopefully that'll have the desired effect. Yeah. So I'm saying keep the faith. I don't mean predict wins, but I just mean if you have a look at the coaching staff, if you have a look at the plays being called, okay, Ailing could have called a better game in this specific game. We've been actually been praising in the last few games for putting points on the board. Keep the faith with Ailing. You look at the defense, we kept. We kept Chicago to 24 points. It's not a good offense, but it's not a high amount of points. We kept Baltimore Ravens down to a low amount of points. And they tightened up in the other two games, you know, maybe when the game had gone. But with a bargain basement load of players, this defense looks better than last year, mostly. Apart from, you know, injuries which we didn't actually have last year, decimating some of that secondary. So those guys keep the faith. Dan Campbell is being aggressive in spots where actually for a team like the Lions to win, you need to be aggressive because we are worse than the other teams that we're playing. So it may not work, but it's a boom or bust technique. It's going to work sometimes and it's not in others. And it actually puts more in the hands of Lady Luck than you would like. But if the team's not good, try and be lucky. And you're going to make your own luck in this. And at the end of the day, if I have a look at this coaching staff compared to before game one and now, I actually am more positive than I was before this season started. We're 0-4. It wasn't going to look good. And I got caught up with the hopium before the season started. And yet, you know what? I'm not surprised at where we are now. I'm not. This is the Lions. And and we've been here for so long, it's going to take a while to get out of. But I, yeah, and, uh, I believe yeah. in hope. And, and I think, so for me, in terms of just my final thought, like keep the faith in Dan Campbell because this is a guy who, like, you know, I, I don't want people like trying to can get him out of the building because they think he's got a fourth and, you know, fourth down call wrong against the Bears in game four. You know, Campbell is a guy that we need to be all in on for the next couple of years. And that's how I'm going to judge him, is what this team looks like in two seasons' time, not what happens against the Bears in week four. Like, I'm absolutely gutted, like, absolutely gutted that we couldn't beat those lame-ass, just crappy Bears. But, you know, I'm not going to judge Campbell on that because we've talked about the hand he's been dealt in terms of the roster. For me, it's about Campbell being the right guy, to pull the coaching team together, have a coaching team we can be proud of, have a leader that we can be proud of in the locker room. And when I look at like Matt Nagy sniveling in his press conference, the fucking ego, you know, saying, you know, this is a guy who's just turned in the worst offensive performance for like five seasons last, last week, just an utterly pathetic performance. And then, you know, he had to give the play calling duties to his OC, Bill Laser, and then he's come out today and he said, well, Bill might have called the plays, but everything runs through me. I mean, this is just a tosser. This is like an egomaniac, just absolute tosser, who is just straight up there with the Patricia, you know, school of how to be a dick. And this is someone that we just absolutely do not want as our head coach. So let's keep the faith in Campbell, because Campbell to me is a guy that I can get behind as a person and as a leader. And there's a, you know, there's a dozen dickish coaches out there in the NFL. Do you want Urban Meyer? 
Do you want Matt Nagy? Do you want that loony from the Giants? Absolutely not. We want someone like Campbell and, you know, let's just keep the faith and let's not turn the negativity of losing to the Bears into like a witch hunt on the coaches because we're better than that. Rant I, over. I think you've got to go back to what we said right at the start. This is a bigger picture scenario we've got. We've got a rookie head coach. We've got a lot of promising rookies. We were happy with the draft class from this year. And I think we've just got to take out. I know we, I know it's been year and year and year of of disappointments, but we have to look at the bigger picture with this. Put your faith in the GM. Put your faith in the head coach, and 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 build that rookies those rookies up. Uh, add the tools in in the off season, and I think we'll be looking at a different picture come next year. But you know there are going to be tough times this year, but we knew that all along anyway. As I, I was just going to say during the middle of that, Steve, no, tell them how you really feel about Matt Nagy. That was great. I, I love that. So what we're saying is basically the Lions suck, but thank fuck we aren't the Bears because Matt Nagy's still on a job. Is that is that kind of a silver lining to this? Well, it's the classic. It's the classic Matt Nagy cycle, isn't it? It's have you know have a team playing appallingly, fans get on his back, beat up on a, a bad team. You know, and then all of a sudden, you know, then the fans are all, you know, quelled and disappear for a couple of games. And then Nagy just keeps on churning out shit teams. So, yeah. you know, for us, you know, the, the the win was a good because it keeps Matt Nagy in a job. And hopefully he'll he'll be here next season because the Bears will still be mediocre. Yeah. Matt Nagy may not be the arsehole. Uh, sorry, is the arsehole that Jeff Fisher perhaps wasn't. But he's certainly taking that record with him. So... In Long Nagy we trust. Yes, absolutely right. Our next episode after all of that is going to be on Thursday on the main pod, Lions at Vikings Preview Show. But our next actual podcast is on Wednesday, Royal Alliance College Football Podcast, week five in review, some really big games across the league, including looking at uh, Ole Miss against number one ranked Alabama, I think it was. That was an interesting game. Um, don't forget to join us on Discord. Uh, we'll be talking about the game on Sunday all the way through that. Just hit me up for a link if you want to join that. It'd be lovely to see you there. Um, otherwise, thank you very much for watching. If you're on the YouTube, on the Twitch, if you're listening to us on the audio platforms, I really appreciate you. Likes, subscribes. I know I know people go on about that all the time. There's some sort of boring rhetoric that you hear at the start of every YouTube video, but you have no idea how much it means to the people who make the videos because of what happens in terms of rewards that people can get for doing this stuff. So any help you can give would be much appreciated. Don't forget on the socials to find us at Royal Alliance UK on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And actually, I made a promise. I made a promise at the end of the last podcast that if there were any reviews on Apple Podcasts, I'd give them a shout out. And I have entirely forgotten to do it because of quite how annoyed I was about the Lions' performance. And I'm trying to look on Apple Podcasts now to see if there are any reviews. But as everyone is aware, probably, their Facebook, Instagram, and other big um, websites are down at the moment. And I cannot load Apple to see if there are any new reviews. So if you have done that, I really apologize. If there are any new reviews over the last few days, I will give you guys a shout on Thursday. If there are any new reviews between now and Thursday, you also get a shout on Thursday. So if anyone's done that, thank you so much for doing it. Um, oh, it's just loaded. It's just loaded. There is a new rating. Yeah.
cannot see the bloody reviews. I, I will give the shout out on Thursday. But anyway, it just remains for me to thank my co-host Martin Birrell, Steve Collins, I'm Matthew Turner, and we'll see you on Wednesday for college football. Let's go, Lions, one pride. In Nagy, we trust. Thank you.